Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Just the Good Stuff. This is your host, Rachel Mansfield. And today's episode is with the cheese queen herself, Marissa Mullen. Marissa is a Brooklyn-based, best-selling author, entrepreneur, food stylist, and content creator. She is the founder of That Cheese Plate, a global community for cheese plate inspiration, recipes, and the creator of the Cheese by Numbers Method, which is a step-by-step approach to creative food styling. It's genius, in my opinion. She's also known for pioneering the cheese and charcuterie trend in popular culture today and creating art out of simplicity. In addition to photography and recipe development, Marissa teaches that cheese class, the original build your own board workshop, and she is the resident cheese contributor over at Food 52. Her debut cookbook, That Cheese Plate Will Change Your Life, focuses on how crafting a cheese plate can be grounding and a meditative activity. This book inspired many and was awarded as Amazon's editor's pick for 2020, listed on Wall Street Journal's bestseller list, and her anticipated second cookbook, That Cheese Plate Wants to Party, just came out and it is gorgeous and amazing and truly one of my favorite cookbooks that I have looked at and read in quite some time. This is a how-to guide to turn any gathering into a cheese-filled opportunity for connection, featuring 40 new cheese board ideas for parties of all kinds. And she even has musical playlists to go along with them. It's very beautifully curated and crafted. I love this book so much. I'm linking to it in the show notes as well. Now, Marissa is the cheese guru. She fills us in on all things cheese, which those of you who know me, you know that I personally don't even really like cheese. And I was still so inspired by this conversation. And I learned so much. And if you don't know me that well and you're like, Rachel, what do you mean you don't like cheese? Here's my thing. I love like feta. I like goat cheese. I like cheese melted on pizza. But like you'll never see me with a charcuterie ward having like cheese on a cracker and some like prosciutto and taking a bite. Like I can't get down with it. I love crackers, love olives, like the candied nuts, dried fruits, whatever. I'm actually like a dream to share a cheese board with because I will gladly let you eat all of it. So if you ever want to come over and share a cheese plate, let me know. I cannot wait to hear what you guys think of this episode. Let Marissa and I know if you're listening and when and any questions or thoughts that you may have. And as always, if you have a hot second to rate and review the podcast over on iTunes or Spotify, that would be so incredibly appreciated. Now let's dive into today's episode. Marissa, we're so excited to chat with you. We dive right on it. I hope you don't mind. Oh, perfect. I kind of like small talk and like banter like in the episode because it makes it so much more. It just makes it like less formal and a lot more casual. Also, this is my husband, Jordan. Hi. Hi. Nice Nice to meet meet you. you. I've seen you on Instagram, not to be creepy. (laughs) I'm a a large, I'm I'm a big cheese fan. So I'm excited to learn today. Oh, amazing. (laughs) Love it. Well, I'm going to start off with a really interesting comment to make right now, but I hate cheese. Uh-huh. All right. I got to go. Okay. I, know, I know. Well, it was funny because Jordan and I, we were prepping for the episode the other day and tell her, tell her what you said. I was like, Rachel, what are you going to talk to her about? Because she loves what you hate. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Here's my question. Do you like vegan cheese, plant-based cheese, cashew-based cheese? Like, I don't just like eat it on its own, if yeah. that makes sense. Like, I love cheese on pizza. I like feta cheese in a salad. Okay. So that's a start. But- yeah. I mean, no, it, this is, this is the end too. Like this is, you know, I'm 30. I mean, this is like, there's no beginning, middle and end with, with my like progression here. I even like lived in Italy and like, didn't, I just can't do like cheese and a cracker. I eat all the crackers. I eat all the dried fruit on a board. I could do like your whipped feta. Yeah. Was, when I was reading your cookbook, like that speaks to my soul, but oh, like, no, the, the is it Lebne? I think you have a Lebne in the book too. That looks really good. I think, yeah, there's a Labna with chili crisp. Oh, Labne, yeah. yeah. That's oh. a good one. 
Yeah, but like cheese on a cracker, mm-mm, can't do it. See, well, so you're the best friend to have at a cheese party because you leave the cheese for everyone else to eat, which is That's great. That's what everyone says. Like we went away and everyone got a cheese platter and I'm like, go do whatever you want. I have no opinion because I am not touching it. Yeah. <laughs> so well, at least you can appreciate the art of cheese, let's say. A million percent. I appreciate the art of food. So, yeah. you know, it's okay. But I had to just get that off of my chest in the beginning of this conversation and I'm personally just excited to learn more about cheese because every time we entertain and have guests over, I just have Jordan go and pick it out because I don't know what I'm doing. And I call him like I'm in the Trader Joe's cheese section and I'm lost. So it's intimidating. There's a lot of options out there. There are. There are a lot of options. So I'd love to start off. And I have this very simple question. Why cheese? Um, well, so cheese to me growing up, it was always my favorite food. I grew up in a household of entertainers. So my mom always through parties. My dad is a self-taught chef. So like growing up, I really was just around it so much and I'd always be put on appetizer duty. So like making a cheese board or making a crudite platter. And, uh, it, they definitely didn't look the way that they look now, but it was my foray into cheese. And I've always just loved, you know, when you're a kid and everyone's like, what's your favorite food for me? It always was cheese, but it wasn't always a passion like it is now. And now that it's my full-time job, um, I had kind of a side uh, journey into the music industry before I found cheese as my full-time job. But it always was just this thing on the back burner. And in general, I think that you know cheese plates really bring people together. Whenever you're at a party and you see one on a table, people gravitate towards it. Maybe not you, but other people will gravitate towards the cheese plate itself because they're so visually beautiful. But also, I think personally, like each cheese on the plate does tell a story. If you're at a cheese shop and you're talking to a cheesemonger, they'll tell you exactly where the cows were grazing on what farm and what the climate was like. And you can take that information and share it with your guests at a party. And you can't really do that with like guacamole, you know? So I just think that um, cheese in general, not only is it beautiful on a plate, but it also kind of is a gateway to deeper conversations. So why don't you break down some of the basics of like, if Rachel was going to the grocery store or to her local cheese shop, like what should she be looking for to curate like a nice balanced plate? Yeah, that's a great question. So I always like to do three to five cheeses on a cheese plate, just so you have variety. You want to think about what kind of theme your cheese plate is going to be. So say we're just doing like a basic, simple, you know, this is cheese plate for friends coming over. I don't want to go too crazy. I always like to do a mixture of textures, a mixture of milks, and then you can kind of play around with intensities. So for example, um, look for a goat's cheese, a sheep's milk cheese, and a cow's milk cheese. So that's example of that could be a fresh chev or an aged goat cheese. You can do for cow's milk. There's so many different types. You could do a brie, camembert, you could do gruyere, cheddar, for sheep's milk, you can do manchego, pecorino. So pick your three different milks. And then from there, think about textures. So again, we want a hard cheese, a soft cheese, maybe uh, fresh cheese. So you could do fresh mozzarella. You could do a uh, comte. So like if you, if you want to kind of put it out on a map, you have your milks, your textures, and then your intensities. So intensities is something like, is this cheese going to hit me in the face like a stinky blue cheese? Or is it more of a approachable cheese, like, you know, a, a fresh feta type that's a little bit salty, but it's not going to really get you there on your on your taste buds. I think the more variety, the better, just so then your guests have options to choose from. And don't be intimidated. You know, if you if you see a cheese that really stands out to you and you don't know what it is, just buy it and try it out and see if you like it. Because at the end of the day, like cheese preferences are personal. So that's that's kind of my go to. 
Yeah, it's great in the book too that you have that whole map of like all the different cheeses and explaining like all the flavors and the profiles, which is actually helpful even for me who loves cheese. It's good to see that. Yeah, I wanted to put that in there because so many times, you know, friends of mine will ask like, oh, well, what does, you know, this, what does brie taste like or what should I look for? And I wanted to give kind of a handy, just like one sheeter to be like, here, open this at your party and then you can tell anyone anything about any type of cheese. Are there any cheeses that this could be silly, but get ready for a lot of silly questions about cheese. Are there any cheeses that aren't meant to be in like cold? Like, are there any cheeses like you should warm or heat or like eat at room temperature or like are all cheeses meant to just be like put on a plate or a board and eaten cold? Yeah. So no cheese should be eaten cold. Technically, all cheese should be like at least uh, warm, not warmed up, but at room temperature for ample flavor. And that's because a lot of cheese is mostly fat. There's a lot of like sexy terms when you talk about cheese, like fat and mold and all this stuff. But <laughs> um, the ample flavor of cheese is at room temperature. So whenever you're making a cheese board, I always recommend leaving your cheese out on the counter for about like 30 to 45 minutes before you even build the cheese plate, because then when you serve it, it will be at room temp. But there's cheeses also that are better warm. So for example, like halloumi, I wouldn't really necessarily eat that straight out of the package. I'd want to grill it. There's really good melting cheeses that would be good plain, but something like raclette, it's like you need to melt it for it to have that ultimate you know, flavor profile. For cold cheese, I mean, I would eat mozzarella cold. Any fresh cheese could be eaten cold, but anything that's aged, like um, you know, hard cheeses like cheddar or specifically like uh, soft ripened goat cheeses and cow's milk cheese. So um, something like Humboldt Fog or Camembert or Brie, you always want to leave that out because um, if you cut into that right when it's out of the fridge, it's just going to cut right in half. Whereas if you leave it out for a half hour, 45 minutes, you'll get that gooey consistency and it's just so much better. That Humboldt cheese, don't you, isn't that the one that you like? That's that's the one. I, that's my favorite. Oh yeah. It's, it's expensive, so isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty expensive. It's, it's not cheap. It's it's hard because it's like in the U.S., um, a lot of local like artisanal cheesemakers aren't subsidized by the government, whereas like in Italy, they are. So like you go to Italy and you can buy the nicest cheese for like two dollars, you know, mm. whereas here it's just so expensive because of, you know, the cost of making cheese. So I want to talk about shopping for cheese. Where do you go? Lots of different places. It depends on the type of party I'm hosting. You know, if it's just my friends coming over and. I'm not trying to impress the guests. Um, <laughs> You're just your friends that don't need impressing anymore. They're already yours. Yeah, they're, they're like, we've been to a million cheese parties at your house. We get it. We, we're just here to see you. I mean, Trader Joe's is not a bad place to shop for cheese if you're on a budget. But I always say when you're making a cheese plate, you want to invest in nice cheese and then everything else can follow because the taste of say a Trader Joe's Gruyere versus like Gruyere from Switzerland, like that is real Gruyere is such a different flavor and it tastes so much better. So if you really want to, you know, make the cheese the star of the show, I'd say go to a cheese shop, go to Whole Foods. Um, in I live in Brooklyn and I love going to my local cheese shop in Greenpoint. Also like Whole Foods does have a really great selection of cheese. I went to Italy the other day randomly and their selection of cheese is amazing. So yeah, like I, I always say, you know, if you, if you only have access to a basic grocery store, that's totally fine. But if you do have um, the ability to shop at a place like a cheese shop or even a farmer's market, start there for sure. What are your three favorite cheeses from Trader Joe's? Ooh, okay. So 
Oh, there's a lot of good ones. I really, I mean, I love unexpected cheddar because like that cheddar Parmesan blend, it's like super sharp. It's really good. It does get a little crumbly though on the cheese plate. So just be mindful of that when you're cutting into it. Um, I really like their brie with mushrooms. That's a good one. It's a little bit polarizing because a lot of people don't like mushrooms and also don't like brie or like, don't like the rind of brie. It's, I like it because brie naturally, when you eat it with the rind, it does have these like earthy mushroom notes to it. So they just added mushrooms to kind of enhance that flavor, which is really nice. And let's see. Oh, I love their cheddar Gruyere blend. That's a good one at Trader Joe's. Have you ever had any of those? I, was like, I haven't had any of those, but I, I I recently just picked one up there and I'm trying to find a picture of it. Oh yeah. You liked it. Um, it was like the white packaging. Yeah. It was like a white soft cheese. Oh, here it is. I'm totally going to butcher this name. It's like Boucheron. Oh yeah. Boucheron. That's a really good uh, aged or slightly aged um, goat cheese from yeah, France. And, ha- and it kind of reminded me of Humboldt frog without like almost that blue cheese note to it. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Yeah. Humble am I making fog. any sense or am I just No, for <laughs> sure. Yeah. Boucheron is, um, it's, so it's the same type of milk. So Humboldt fog and Boucheron are both goat's milk. They're both the same style. So they're both a soft ripened cheese. Um, Humboldt fog, that line down the center, a lot of people think that's blue cheese, but that's actually vegetable ash. And it's like just a design element. So there's no oh. blue cheese element to it, but, um, the, kind of the outer layer of both of those cheeses it's called the cream line and the younger slash older the cheese is the more intense that cream line can get so boucheron tends to have a smaller cream line so the flavor of it is more like a fresh chev whereas uh, humboldt fog it gets that really gooey outer buttery layer that's really nice and so it tends to be a little bit more intense so are you just like self-taught on all this knowledge of cheese Yeah, it's funny. Um, So I've been, I started my Instagram account 10 years ago, started in 2013, which is crazy because thinking back, I'm like, where did the time go? But professionally, I quit my job in music in 2019. And I feel like since then, I've just been in like a constant cheese boot camp. Um, So I've befriended many cheesemongers and have, you know, it's my everyday. So I I think uh, just by working in it, I've learned a lot. And by eating a lot of cheese, I've learned a lot. But I still want to do one day like um like Murray's Cheese in the City has cheese boot camp where you go and it's like a 3-day intensive course where you can like really learn a lot about it. One day I think I'm going to do that, you know, just for fun. It's, it's almost like you need cheese club but like for um like wine club but for cheese. You yeah. know, how the people have like a monthly like wine night or whatever. See, I don't fit in any of the shit. I don't drink wine, I don't eat cheese, so I'll just sit by Honestly, myself. Honestly, low key, I had to uh stop drinking wine last year, which is kind of controversial since I am a cheese connoisseur. That is. I was, I found that I was like having allergic reactions to it. So I've been actually dabbling a lot in non-alcoholic wine, which I really have been liking. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's really sad. Like I can have little sips of it. So like, if I wanted to do a wine and cheese pairing, I can taste it. But if I drink a full glass, I like break out in hives. Do you have any go-to non-alc wines? Um, to tourist, is that what it's called? T is it T O R T S? It's like a bottle. Yeah. Toast. That's it. There's a, there's a bar in Brooklyn called Torst. So I get confused. Um, I like toast. And then there's this other one I got from, uh, this place, shout out big night in Brooklyn. I forget the name of it. Um, it has like a number one on it. It was a white, white wine variety, but it was pretty good. Have you tried, excuse me, uh, Shirley? No, I haven't tried that. 
We like Shirley. Shirley's a good non-alcohol. We have a bunch of their varieties. Actually, our refrigerator was freezer were broken for a while. So we just like cleaned out our beverage freeze refrigerator to make sense, uh, make room. I like can't talk today. <laughs> cleaned out our beverage refrigerator to make room. And we have so many of them. They have like all different varieties, like white, like a rose, red, sparkling. Ooh. Yeah, they have like, they have a lot of different options. Yeah. And they also started making these like spritzes in a can, which are like delicious. Like oh, love especially, that. Especially now for the warmer weather. Oh yeah, for sure. That's so fun. Yeah. I mean, there's so many amazing mocktails and unalcoholic uh, beverages out there now. And I love, you know, going to restaurants, seeing that there's pretty much like in New York, always a menu option for NA mocktails, which is fun. Especially in New York, not out here in the burbs. Are you guys, where are you guys, New Jersey or? Yeah. We're in Short Hills, New Jersey. Oh, nice. Um, So 30 minutes outside the city. Awesome. I mean, you have nature. That's nice. (laughs) Debatable. (laughs) <laughs> I guess it depends. Um, some days it's great and some days you really miss the action. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about crackers. So you have the three cheeses that you pick out for your board or however many. How do you know what kind of cracker goes with what kind of cheese? Or is there a perfect science to that? Yeah. So I I tend to like, um, you know, more basic crackers with cheese, because again, like if the cheese is the star of your show, you want it to shine. So I wouldn't overpower it with something like a super garlicky and onion flavored cracker. I really love this brand rustic bakery. They make really good, um, like simple, you know, sea salt crackers that are great, but you also want to think about texture. So for example, like with a hard cheese, I like hard cheeses on hard crackers and soft cheeses on like bread or baguettes. Um, just cause like texture element is nicer. Like if you're biting down on a piece of cheddar on a soft baguette, it might be a little like just not the best bite. Whereas if it's on a hard cracker, you get that like dual there's, there's some structure to it. Whereas yeah. like a buttery brie on a soft baguette, that's such a nice buttery bite altogether. So I think my, my rule of thumb with crackers is like, don't have overpowering flavor notes on there. I think if you do have flavored crackers, as long as they kind of tie into what else is on the cheese plate. So like fruit and nut crisps are always great because you'll usually have dried fruit and nuts on a cheese plate. So that kind of ties into the whole story. But if you have something like an everything bagel seasoned cracker on a plate that is mostly like strawberries and raspberries, that might not really work out. So always start with basic and then work your way based on pairings. So just like backtracking a little bit, you mentioned being in the music industry before this. Um, Can you just talk about how your past kind of developed you into what you're doing in the present because in your latest book it's like all about the experience of the cheese plate and with the with the music add-ons with the cocktail pairings even with like the floral decor like is that something that just came naturally to you or do you think that was something that you developed as your career grew yeah um it definitely a little bit of both i think again growing up in my home with my parents, my mom was always very into um, gardening and floral arrangements and making the space feel inviting. Um, her like biggest pet peeve is when like the lights are on too bright when there's a party. She's like always turning the lights down and lighting candles. So that's always been something that's been pretty ingrained in me. But in terms of experience and how music can really dictate a mood, um, that does come from my past working in music. So I started in the music business Pretty much like when I was 18, I started uh, interning for a management company and then working for a record label. In college, I went to Northeastern and they do this uh, co-op program. So basically you do two six-month internships and you don't have to do school. So it's very intensive. And my first one was at um, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon. 
and I was working for the roots and the guest bands on the show. So it was like every single day, a different artist coming in and kind of like learning the behind the scenes of how late night television works. And when I left that job, I had a year of school left and all I wanted to do, I told my mom, I was like, yeah, I want to work in the music department of a late night TV show. And she was like, okay, there's like three late night hosts. Good luck. And I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. Um, so lo and behold, timing worked out because uh, Stephen Colbert was taking over for David Letterman. He needed a music department. They were looking for people to be hired. And I sent out my resume far and wide. You know, I was just like, not going to take no for an answer and ended up getting an interview and got the job as John Batiste's personal assistant. And he was the band leader for Colbert for about six years, seven years. He left last year. Um, because he's doing his music career now. But through that, I was able to experience a whole different side of music where I was his personal assistant on the show. But then off the show, I got to tour with him on the road and go to galas and events and do all these different types of creative you know, ventures with him. And he is one of the most like talented musicians I've ever met. And he's just like, you can tell when he's in a room and he starts playing the piano, he just captivates his audience. And we did a tour in uh, 2018 and it was called um, Solo Piano and Around. And instead of being on stage, he just took a grand piano and put it in the center of a venue and everyone just stood around it. And you could just tell like his way of being able to create a setting and a vibe and a mood just based on what he was playing was so captivating. And um, as someone who is constantly listening to music like every single day, I wanted to figure out a way to kind of capture the mood of each cheese plate and create a musical vibe around it. Because, you know, if you're eating a cheese plate that is, you know, that by the fire plate, for example, which is in the book, if I paired that with like insane EDM club music, it probably wouldn't feel the same as if it's paired with really nice, uh, sultry jazz and R&B. It like, it kind of is a whole sensory experience. So I definitely think that, you know, my, my music pass, I love that I was able to tie it in with these QR codes in the book, um, to kind of create this whole 360 experience around the cheese plate itself. That is beautiful. Like that's like a host's dream because you don't really have to do anything. You just open your book, you pick out which one you want to do based off of the mood or the vibe of what you're going for. You don't have to worry about the music. Yeah. You, you just it's your one-stop shop. <laughs> you're like the virtual host for everyone. You're like the fairy godmother of hosting a party. I love uh, that. I had the uh I actually had that by the fireplace and that warm tones. We saved it. I was listening to them this morning. Oh, amazing. Yeah. It, it's fun to uh to curate those because I mean, I definitely do have a a genre of music I listen to the most, but I wanted to try to make them as different as possible because, you know, music is so just like cheese music, people have preferences. And um, it was really fun to just like pick up each cheese plate and be like, okay, I'm sitting in this setting. What do I hear? And I was, I was having fun with the, uh, the loaded latka plate because I grew up, my mom's Jewish and around Hanukkah, like she'd always complain. She's like, there's no good Hanukkah songs. Like there's Adam Sandler and that's it, you know? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to figure out a way to make like a cool Hanukkah playlist. And so I included like some classics, but then I was like, okay, what Jewish artists are super cool. And I'm like, hi, I'm going to put them on there. Billy Joel going to put them on there. Like, and then kind of just sprinkled in like Jewish artists with the Hanukkah music. So it was fun because each cheese play was such a challenge in how to curate these playlists. But I think like if you kind of go through them, they all do feel a little bit different. And then I had some help from friends 
and my dad. So my dad is a big music fan and growing up, um, like he would always be playing music as well. So he definitely was an influence for me, but I let him curate the hot grill summer plate because barbecue season reminds me a lot of him. And he made this amazing playlist. I was like, dad, like new songs, old songs, like he, he, the order was perfect. So he crushed that. And then, um, for this plate called that funky luncheon plate, I had my soul cycle instructor Parker curate it because going to spin class, like got all my angst out when I was writing this book and Parker's Mm -hmm. playlists were always just like, they hit the spot. And so I asked him, I was like, I have this one plate in the book that reminds me of you. Can you curate a playlist for it? And he crushed it. It's, it's very, uh, experimental, like club pop jams, but it makes sense for the plate. That's really cool. It's like such a unique, when I was looking at it, I'm like, I can't believe that there's like a playlist to go with this book. I've never seen that before. Yeah. Um, And it's, it's funny because like I, a lot of this book, what I'm realizing is like from first glance, it does seem just like, Oh, another cheese book, you know, like cheese plates are big on Instagram and this is a nice gift but there's so many layers to it and it's hard for me to explain all of them via social media because like as you know reels these days have to be like 15 seconds or no one pays attention um so that's why i think you know these podcasts are great too because it's like you can kind of dive in deeper to mm-hmm. the themes beyond just like the viral content which is is definitely something that is a little bit of a struggle with publishing a book in this day and age um especially with social media and the algorithms and what is, you know, preferred. It's funny because I just had this book come out a few weeks ago, but meanwhile, I have all these pasta salads going viral and there's not one pasta salad in my cookbook. So it's like, all right, you know, we'll just take it as a win anyways. You just got to go with the flow. Well, it's like, exactly. well, you can't like plan content for Instagram anymore because no, you, you never know what's going to do well. And then like, you want to kind of piggyback off of like other things that we're doing well as you're creating more content. I mean, you probably should just add a cottage cheese uh, cookbook at this point. Just cottage cheese just seems to be the cheese of Everywhere. the century. Yeah. So funny because people used to scoff at cottage cheese. Like I remember I did a um, cottage cheese plate in my first cookbook and I wrote in the caption or like in the description, I was like, cottage cheese, like best kept secret. And people were like, what are you talking about? And like, now it's everywhere. And I'm like, guys, I tried to tell you. (laughs) How did that like happen? Do you know how that happened? Like how did cottage cheese become like it in 2023? I feel like, I feel like Greek yogurt had its moment last year and that has like high protein. I think cottage cheese is even higher protein. So I think it's just the natural progression. Yeah. And it's TikTok. Oh. I mean, I think it's just like TikTok, something, something went viral on TikTok about cottage cheese and then it just mm-hmm. spread like wildfire. Yeah. It's really crazy. Cause I always just think of like my mom, like she used to have cottage cheese all the time. And like, I would cannot just eat a bowl of cottage cheese. Like the only <laughs> way I can eat it is if it's blended into something or like baked. I, mean, I shared the like cottage cheese, banana bread, I baked oh, in nice. something where like, yeah, it's like, well, it adds like moist like yeah. a moist, good it's texture. like a sour cream like mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Well, it's also it's like using yogurt in, yeah. in a recipe like it's very underrated but like i can never just like eat a bowl of it it kind of skeeps me out the texture and the look and the smell yeah i think what, that's why the whipped cottage cheese i think took mm-hmm. off because when you whip it it does it's like a ricotta texture it's really nice but yeah i agree it's it's definitely it reminds a lot of people of like being a kid and just like seeing it with like cantaloupe chunks <laughs> yeah exactly I remember like my great grandma who's been passed away for like 25 years eating that with the cantaloupe or the pineapple. (laughs) Now, speaking of Instagram, so what gave you the balls to quit your job and pursue your brand full time? Like, tell us about that uh, journey. 
Yeah. So I was working with John Batiste and I had this Instagram, um, kind of on the side for, you know, 10 years, but at the time this was 2018. So I always would kind of like, I wanted to treat the Instagram, like it was the artist and I was its manager. And I wanted to have like a logo and a merch store and teach classes in person. And I wanted to make it as much of a brand as possible, mainly just because it was my passion and I had fun doing it. And when I was working with John, we would have just crazy work weeks, like 12 hour days. I'd be traveling on the weekends. Um, there'd be moments where I'd be working like six weeks in a row without a break. And the days that I did have off cheese plates were the one thing to kind of ground me into the present moment, because I would make a cheese plate for my Instagram, like for this little passion project during the day with natural light music playing, you know, you're cutting a cucumber, you can't be on your phone. And then I'd invite my friends over, we'd throw a cheese party, we'd enjoy the cheese plates. So it was just this natural progression of something that I loved and was able to document it on Instagram. And I had the idea for cheese by numbers, just because I would build the plates in the same order every time. And I'm a very visual learner. So I kind of mapped out a cheese plate, like it would be a paint by numbers map. And this was a concept for my first cookbook. And so in early 2018, I met a book agent in Brooklyn and she loved the concept and was like, let's pitch it and see what happens. So we put together a book proposal at the time. I think I had maybe 30,000 followers on Instagram and cheese by numbers didn't have an Instagram account yet. And we pitched it out, got rejected by probably 25 publishers. Every single person was like, you don't have enough press. You don't have enough followers. We can't market this book. And one person said a buyer from an undisclosed book chain uh, was like, no, no on a cheese book. Cheese is loved by many, but a book on cheese plates is completely unnecessary. And I was just like, so defeated. I'm like, you know what? Fine. I still work in music. I'll just stay with my job. But the goal for me wasn't even to quit. It was just, I wanted to make this book. So then, uh, that summer, I kind of out of anger made cheese by numbers an account to be like, I'm going to show them this is a good idea. And I started posting these step-by-step -step cheese plates, which I call swipe to build. So you're on cheese by numbers and you can find all the cheese plates on that cheese plate. And then how to make them is on cheese by numbers. So it was like my tutorial account. And in uh, 2018, and I think it was like November, 2018, the Rachel Ray show found it. I got a random email and they were like, Hey, we found your account cheese by numbers. We'd love to have you on the show. And I was like, not that cheese plate, the one that I've been, you know, <laughs> building for years. And they're like, no, we can't talk about two Instagrams. That's too confusing. Only cheese by numbers. And I was like, okay. So I went on Rachel Ray. We talked about cheese by numbers, um, overnight. This was before TikTok, So people actually watched TV back then overnight, it kind of blew up. And then from there, from December, 2018 to March, 2019, it was just this crazy influx of press. Like I was on the today show in January. I did an article with Vox, um, in February talking about how cheese plates are self-care. I went with John Batiste, like on a red eye to LA for a show with him. And on the plane, I made a airline tray table cheese plate that I was documenting from the sky. And when I landed, it was like picked up by travel and leisure. It was just this crazy time where I was like, oh shit, like this might be something bigger than just my passion project. But I wasn't getting paid well with my job. I had no money to leave it. I was just like, I, there's no way I can do, like I can do this full time. Like that's just impossible. And then uh, in March, the Dial Press, which is an imprint of Random House, hit me up. Um, they emailed me and they're like, Hey, we saw your article with Fox about how cheese plates are self-care. We think this is such an interesting story. Would you want to possibly write a book about it? 
I was like, oh, funny you ask, because here's my book proposal that got rejected by everyone last year. And they were a brand new imprint. So my old agent never pitched to them and they ended up offering me a book deal. And then I took that and quit my job and was like, okay, figure it out. <laughs> so it was your book that made you quit your, your first book that made you quit your job. Yeah. Cause I, I couldn't without that, you know, just financially. And then were you doing like brand partnerships simultaneously? Did you have any other revenue streams when you did that? Like I, I would be so scared. Yeah, it was. So before that, um, I had a few brand partnerships that came in. It was like the beginning of me doing branded content, probably like in 2018. I think 2018 was the year that I I got like a blue diamond partnership and like Whole Foods, but it wasn't like, you know, crazy amounts of money. But then when I signed with Random House, they were like, oh, well, you need an agent now. Like I kind of did it backwards because I fired my old agent at this point. So I was able to interview people to be my agent. And I signed with WME who had like a big branded partnerships team. So then once I got an agent for my branded partnerships, they started to come in more and that became a second revenue stream. But then my cheese classes became another revenue stream, which in COVID um, turned into a really great online activity. So we would host, um, it started as like virtual happy hours on Instagram and we'd give a list of groceries for people to buy and we'd all build a cheese plate together. I got like special guests to join me. Um, we had Tyler Cameron from the bachelor and we made like date night cheese plates, which was super fun. And then I moved that to, um, another platform that my friends actually started called pillar, which is like a subscription-based model. And we would host monthly cheese classes on there. And then, uh, like different companies like law firms and Salesforce were like, will you teach cheese classes for our whole company for Christmas? You know, so that kind of became a big revenue stream on its own, um, which I did not expect at all. And yeah, like as, as it grew, I think more opportunities started coming in besides the book, which was great. But the beginning was like, I was like, okay, I have enough to last me like five months rent. Let's go <laughs> figure it out. That's scary. Cause also writing a book, like it costs a lot of money, like the photography, the like recipe, like I would, I'd have like, um, almost like a recipe editor, like a tester who like double, like made all my recipes to make sure that they work. Did you have to do yeah, that? No. So this is the thing with dial press. They, I was their only cookbook and I'm still their only cookbook author oh, and they had no idea. I mean, they they had an idea, but they didn't have any sort of guidelines that I had to follow. So I took all my photos by myself in my apartment with my iPhone um, on a white poster board on my kitchen table. I food styled everything myself. Uh, I had a recipe tester, but it was like a friend that I didn't have to pay that much. And the only big uh, lift was paying my illustrator, who I actually knew from the late show, and she still works there. She works in um, the research department, but she was an illustrator on the side and it was like one of her passion projects. And so I hired her to illustrate the book. So it was a very DIY process. And I think, you know, coming from that, I was able to save a lot of money because I didn't have to pay out a photographer and all these other people to write it. That's amazing. Cause that really adds up. It's like basically more than half your advance. Oh yeah. It's crazy. And like, mm -hmm. I know friends who are with um, other publishers who require, you know, they have all these like formulas yeah. and it, and they know that it works. And I under I totally understand that because, you know, if you take the risk of having the author do everything and then it comes back and it does not look good, then, you know, it's the publisher's fault. So I do get that completely, but yeah, it ended up working out that way. And the second book too, um, I had a few friends help me with some like in-between photos of like behind the scenes stuff, but all of the cheese plates you see in the second book are also taken with my iPhone. So the first book came out during COVID, right? 
Yeah, May 2020. Great time. So <laughs> well, we were, I was February. Yeah, we're, we're, on, we're on the same. Oh, time. yeah. Yeah. So, like, Rachel had this whole cookbook tour planned and it got canceled. Mm-hmm. So, I'm assuming you didn't have one for the first book, but I saw that you're coming out with one for the second book. You want to walk or tell us more about the uh, cookbook tour or the yeah, for cheese sure. plate tour? That cheese party tour, of course. Um, so, again, kind of taking my expertise from the music business, I've always wanted to do this kind of like, multi-city tour and something that's different than just sitting at a bookstore and talking to someone about the book. Um, I wanted to have it be like an interactive experience where there's cheese plates, there's photo booths, there's music, there's, it's just a party. You know, I had this plan in 2020 and I had it booked with the Hoxton hotel and some other hotel partners. And of course all of it got canceled. So kind of went back to the drawing board, but it was nice because this time around I was like, okay, I have a general idea of what I want to do. And now it ties into the book concept even better. So that's great. And so with the routing though, I mean, as you know, with a book tour, uh, you don't really get much help from the publisher, um, in terms of like planning it, if you want to do something, anything more than a bookstore signing. So uh, a lot of this was very DIY, um, which I guess is like my whole MO. I just DIY it all. But I had some friends who like essentially the mapping of it, I wanted to do like, I started with the idea of like 10 cities. Slowly as I was getting into that, I was like, this is too much work. Like planning 10 events. It's like planning 10 weddings in the sense of how I wanted to like do everything. So I narrowed it down to, to start it's uh, New York, Boston, Santa Barbara, LA, San Francisco or Santa Barbara, Santa Barbara, LA, Palm Springs. So East coast, West coast. And then later this year, I'm going to add in like Chicago, Nashville, Savannah, like some, some of the center of the country, but most of the places I'm going to were people who reached out to me. So for example, in Boston, uh, Trillium Brewery reached out and they do this book series where they have authors come in and they do a signing. And with that, we're going to do like past bite builders from the books, so like little, um, pairings from the book, as well as like do a fun, chat and beer pairings and things like that. Whereas the launch party was at Talea beer in Williamsburg, which is amazing female owned brewery. And this one, I kind of got like full reign control over. And so we did this, uh, we sold, I think 150 tickets. Um, I had a merch stand with all of my cheese apparel. Cause I have a merch line that I created with my friends from music. So you could like go in, we have tour t-shirts, we had, um, sweatshirts, And then you walk in and there's a 30 foot grazing table that's separated in my cheese by numbers method with little cheese boards. And so the idea is that you can build your own cheese plate around the corner. There's a section with all these flat lays where you can take a photo of your cheese plate. Um, There's the bite builders with posters, basically like the cheese plates are so beautiful, but if you were to make one and just put them down on the table, they would be eaten in a second. So my idea was to create little bites underneath a blow up illustration of the art. Um, so that way you can look at the cheese plate and eat it at the same time. So we had that element and it was amazing. Like it truly was so much fun. It felt exactly what I wanted it to feel like, but now moving forward as the tour continues, every venue is different. Every space is different. Um, budgets are different. So I think with the cheese party tour, it's almost like there will be cheese guaranteed. There will be the book. The experience will be different depending on wherever you are, which is like, keeps us a surprise, you know, like I'm doing an event at, um, Alice Hall ranch in Santa Ynez, California. And they're like, we're having a live band perform. I'm like, okay, bring it in. So I think it's kind of like, yeah, depending on who I'm partnering with, every event is different, but I, I want it to be, I want all of them to be memorable and visually beautiful and offer cheese wherever you go. 
When does it kick off? Well, you did the New York one. Did the New York one. Uh, my first event is Saturday at uh, Wildflower Farms in upstate New York, Hudson Valley. Oh, we, stay, nice. we stay there in um, October. Oh, nice. Yeah. Beautiful spot. Um, and again, like with them, I, I found the property on Google Maps when I was upstate, just like bouncing around. And I posted from there and their marketing director followed me and asked if I wanted to do an event. So like, that's just how all these events kind of came to be. So I'm doing a workshop there and then we're curating a cheese plate for the menu all weekend. So that's kind of like a little upstate stop and then going to Boston for Trillium. And then I go to Palm Springs and West Coast after that. So it's between now and like June, essentially. So who's the we? Like who who's on your team? Um, Me. I, I think I have a <laughs> habit of saying we because I have like my book team that's been helping me a lot. My PR rep there has been like really coordinating like all the book shipments and where everything's going. My merch team has been Emily on the emails. Yeah. Emily, Emily Asayev. She's awesome. My merch team has been crushing it with like, we have these tote bags for everyone that says uh, dairy dancing and dinner parties and a lot of custom merch. So we is like a broader term of like my external team. But when it talks about like who's actually going on the tour, it's just me. (laughs) You are better at saying we than I am. And I've been with Jordan for 13 years. I still don't say (laughs) we enough. I'm like, I... I've been in business for two years and it still sometimes feels like I'm not. It's been a year and (laughs) a year and a half. So when, you know, I did say we for the cookbook in this conversation a couple of times when really that was just me. I know. I was going to say I had nothing to do with with your cookbook. I think it's, it's, it's almost a habit because in the beginning of that cheese plate, um, before I even like showed my face, because like what's good about my brand is like, it's not me, it's the cheese. So I don't have to really be face forward with it. But when I was trying to, you know, start out, I always said we in my captions to make it feel like it was a much bigger company than it was. And then once I started showing my face, it was more like me and I, but I still have this habit of like, we, my multi-million dollar massive corporation. It's like, no, it's literally just me. Mm, Dreams. I know. Apartment. Amen. (laughs) It it does. Not that it's not legitimate, but like when you say we, it does sound like there's like this whole like team and everything. Yeah. Like I got my assistant and my tour manager and my coordinator and yeah, they're all named Marissa Mullen. <laughs> it's a lot when we were planning, like my friend Lisa and I were, she was helping me plan my cookbook tour that then got canceled. And it was like planning. We kept saying like little weddings everywhere yeah. that we were going. And every right. it's smart that you're doing like a different type of event within each city, because we learned like all the venues we were using made the event different. And like, yeah. you were getting annoyed at that. Cause like we wanted to, I wanted like a cookie cutter tour. So it was like right. easier to plan, but like it's, it was impossible. Like everywhere we were going, the location was different. Like, and what we were able to do was, was vastly different than after all those months, it was, um, canceled. So yeah, no, it's so frustrating. And I think it's hard too, because exactly that, like you go to these venues that are so generous with being like, we'll pay for you to come. Like, we're not going to pay you, but this will be, you can use our space. And with Mm -hmm. that, there's like their kitchen and their, what they normally do events with. And it's hard to kind of curate that as your own. And this is where I think there's a huge, I've said this on like two podcasts already. And I'm like, there's a gap in the market for like a cookbook tour agent or a cookbook tour coordinator, because we don't want to do the Barnes and Noble, their chit chat. It's like, you want to have food involved since it's a cookbook. And it's, there's no like, you know, easy way around it. It's like, I think every author I've talked to, every cookbook author I've talked to, we all are doing these like scrappy cookbook tours because it's like, how else are we supposed to do it? And like, you know, have this fun experience that's curated and awesome, but not feel like you're planning a wedding everywhere you go. 
I agree. I always wonder if like we do see, look, I just said, wait, if we decide to do a book, like, would we even want to go on tour? Like how would that even work? Well, that's the thing too. It's like nowadays with social media, you can reach a lot more people than going to a place with 10 people. But I think I wanted to set out on this tour just because I think the content will be great. (laughs) So it's like being able to capture like all these places I'm going to and being in Palm Springs and, you know, what kind of cheese plates we can make out there. I think it's just a fun thing for me to do, but financially, is it the smartest decision? Not really, but maybe down the line, it will all come back around. I also think like what you are offering is like very different than it's not just like, it's not like, it's not the quintessential cookbook where it's Mm -hmm. planning your lunches and breakfasts and dinners and whatever. And I think that's like also yours is more of like an entertaining and social type of book that it really does make sense for you to do something like this. So I'm excited to to follow along for that. Now, I think I heard somewhere and I could have made this up and maybe it wasn't you, but I think it was. Do you have two different phones? I do. I have Can you two tell phones. me about that? Because I, what? okay. I think you're going to make Rachel's dreams come I true. Have, what do I do? Okay, this is, this is really, this is really extra. But right now I have three because... For my merch sales, I've been using this as like my POS system with the square plugin. And this was the phone that I took the photos of my first cookbook on, right? Okay. Second cookbook, I needed the updated phone. So I got the newer phone. And this one now that cookbook shooting is done is my social media phone. So on here, I have Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever, and photos. Like it's a better photo quality phone. This is my phone that just has text, phone calls, and like my astrology apps. And when I go out into the world, I usually just take this phone with me because I like to have that separation of work-life balance, especially working in social media. It's you're constantly being inundated by notifications and you have that habit to just open up Instagram. I used to have, um, Instagram on both phones and I deleted it off my normal phone and my thumb kept going to like where the app was to open it. And I was like, Oh my God, I'm addicted. So I needed to like, I hit this point where I was like, enough is enough. I need to have separation. And so there's time I go through phases of like how good I am at separating. Like sometimes I do fall asleep with the social media phone next to my face, but mostly I try to physically power it down at the end of the day, put it in my office and like shut the door. So I have like some sort of separation. I think I'm going to do that. So do you have three different phone bills? Um, no. So these two don't have, they're just Wi-Fi. So like this one, the social media phone is only connected through Wi-Fi. So when I'm out in public, if I have it, I'll just hotspot my normal phone. So this is almost like it acts like a camera or like an iPad Got essentially. It. Yeah. And it's great too for filming because then you can film from two different angles if you want. You can be filming and taking Instagram stories with one. I'm a big proponent of the the two phone life. Somehow, I think my phone's probably up for an upgrade. So I have a feeling that I'm going to be getting an upgrade and Rachel's going to be taking this phone. <laughs> You should. I think honestly. I might do that. Well, I think now like being a mom and having three kids, like it's yeah. so hard running a business and being a mother at the same time. And oh my God. Yeah. During the week, I'm not as like, oh my God, I went on two phones. But on the weekend, it's like, I can't put my phone on airplane mode or on like do not disturb type thing because like I have to, like, what if he's out and like needs to reach me? I do answer the phone when you do need to reach me. He's going to say, I don't answer the phone, but I do. Rarely. But like, <laughs> I don't want to, I'm, I subconsciously open Instagram or Facebook or I don't really like consume TikTok that much, but like, like I have like a mom group on Facebook, but like, I love reading everything that people are saying, but do I really need to be reading that in the middle of the day? Like, no, I could do that during allocated hours. Yeah. I think I'm going to do that. Yeah. Like last night was a perfect example. We're laying in bed. Oh my God, we're so for like, losers. For like an hour, right? We like, we've rewatched the same TV show, the same episode like four times because neither it's of us mortifying. pay attention because the next thing you know, we're both like on Instagram. Oh yeah. TikTok oh, it's so like, easy. 
so easy to do. LinkedIn, I'm like, what the hell? It's it's insane how your mind just goes there. Well, and we had a really big night last night because um, Jordan made his first Instagram reel that he's making fun of influencers and it's hysterical. He's basically- That is make- amazing. I've been telling him for eight I'm, years. I'm, making- I'm literally making fun of you, Rachel, not- not the other influencers. I, I said making fun of me then. Did I say that after that? Oh, well, influencers, but like he's really just making fun of me. And he's like, he posted about like my green smoothie muffins. He's like, I'm so bad about getting my greens in. So like, this is how I get my greens into my daily, whatever, just watch it. Cause I don't even know. How, I can't even make fun of myself. Cause that's just, it's hard, but it's hysterical. So like I kept watching that the whole time. And we're like, it's, but the next, you know, it's 945 and I yeah. didn't even watch TV. Oh Yeah. I mean, you're lucky you're not addicted to TikTok because that shit nice. sucks time like nothing else. Like I've had so many like moments where I had to delete the app off my phone because I would open it and like two hours would go by and I'd blink and be like, where did I just go? And it's like half the time it feels like I always refer to this world and especially like social media being a content creator. It's the matrix because it's like I can be like tuned into my phone for like six hours and like be on Instagram, be here, be there, like, and then come out and be like, oh, oh yeah, I forgot I live in New York City. Wow, look, there's the Empire State Building. <laughs> it's like, you get yeah. so disassociated. And I think I, I kind of hit this point where I was going through a kind of creative block of a time after the cookbook, the second one. And I was like trying to look for inspiration and didn't feel inspired and was just like constantly comparing myself on social media to other people and like seeing other people's engagement, feeling crappy about myself. And I was like, wait, I have the choice to not consume this. I have free will. I could literally turn my phone off and it won't even upset me because I'm not consuming it. And it was almost this light bulb moment of like, oh yeah, okay. So I actually can have some sort of work-life balance. I don't have to constantly be like inundating myself with this, which I think is like something that a lot of creators should do because, you know, it's social media is our main form of income. And it's like such a big part of our lifestyle. And I think like it is, it gets a little dangerous when it becomes like too much. And you have to like, sometimes I just have to go outside and like touch the grass and be like, okay, reality, you know, you've influenced me. I'm inspired. I'm going to do it. Two phone life. Let's do it. (laughs) Well, Marissa, you're amazing. Thank you so much for taking the time you know, I still am not craving cheese, but now I'm less intimidated when I'm going to go make a cheese board because I do well, make perfect. We're not, we're gonna have some people over tomorrow, so I think we're gonna curate one from the book. Oh yes, please do. Coming tomorrow. Well, <laughs> please tell the listeners where they could find you and learn all about that cheese plate and all the cheesy things. Yes. So um, I have four Instagrams, which is really unnecessary. You can you only phones. So you don't need to follow all of them, but I'll just explain them. So. That cheese plate is your main hub for all cheese plate inspiration, recipes, et cetera. That's where I post most of my things. Cheese by Numbers is the step-by-step tutorial account. So if you want to learn how to build a cheese plate step-by-step, go there. Uh, That Cheese Class will tell you all about all my events in person and parties and classes, workshops, et cetera. And then my personal account is Marissa Mullen. And that one, I just like post pictures of flowers and fields and not really cheese. So those are my four. And then uh, TikTok, you can find me at That Cheese Plate. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And everyone go out and buy both of Marissa's books. We'll link to them in the show notes. Marissa, thank you so much. Yes, thank thank you. you guys. Thanks.